Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome back to Government vs. the Robots. We've reached the end of what felt like an endless summer and we're ready to get back to business examining how technology will affect politics in the future. This week we're taking a look at who's actually paying to target us on social media platforms like Facebook. With a second referendum a very slight possibility in the UK and the midterm elections coming up in the US, there's plenty of opportunities to take a close look at who's paying to play in the world of political advertising. My guest this week is Sam Jeffers. Sam is co-founder of Who Targets Me, a software plugin that enables you to look at who's paying to advertise at you on social media. Before setting up Who Targets Me, Sam was director of the political communications agency Blue State Digital here in London, and before that, played drums in a rock and roll band. Sam, it's great to have you here uh, and to be back in the studio, so thanks for joining me. Thank you. Uh, before we kick off, um, can you just really quickly give us an overview of what Who Targets Me is before we get into the, the meat of things? Yeah, so Who Targets Me is an effort to really crowdsource political social media advertising. Uh, we started in the UK doing the, the general election here in, in 2017, uh, but since we've expanded into, I think we have users now in 50-something countries and we have partnerships in 10 or 15 different countries where we're looking at how these ads are being used to try and influence votes. And in a very basic sense, this is an, a plugin that people put on their browser? or Exactly, yeah. So it's a, it's a Chrome or Firefox browser extension. You can install it and then you just use Facebook as normal. Facebook particularly is the area that we're focused on at the moment. It's it's the area where most money is being spent on, on social media ads in politics. Um and essentially, yeah, you, you've installed this software and it can give you some kind of personalized stats about the ads you're seeing. So breakdown by party, a kind of list and a record of the ads that you've been targeted with and the reasons why you were targeted with them. So hold that thought because we are going to come to some of the specifics of the current moment and where Who Targets Me fits in that. But before we do, I wanted to have a bit of a chat with you about your experience in political campaigning, your background in digital communication. So you were managing director at Blue State Digital in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered if you could tell me before we um, kick off what you think the most exciting aspect of being involved in political campaign communications has been for you I mean I think that you know the thing we would do well was was take advantage of moments and build on a moment so you know something happens and I think we always prided ourselves on being very quick to respond to things and to kind of turn that to action for the people who were supportive of that campaign so the company worked on both Obama campaigns and it was very much about you know how do you take this kind of almost like a media moment in the campaign that people might be aware of and you sort of push that out and you reframe the story in your direction and you send your millions of supporters off in a direction that you want them to go in 
um, so that they can raise money or you know go to an event or get angry about something on social media and kind of make some noise for you and I always felt like that was the bit where you're really you know it's kind of the thrill of the chase at that moment you know something has happened we've got to do something and we've got to get you know all the stuff written and the things made and the people to sign it off and the the whole user journey for this worked out and and you know that once we've done that that will be some you know of some good benefit for the for the campaign itself and and that always felt like a very thrilling thing to be involved in and what can you remember what year it was when you first started so I started immediately after the first Obama campaign so 2008 was when I started working for the company and so we immediately are kind of you know in London are kind of imbued with all the lessons of that campaign and we're trying to run around you know the UK and Europe to sell people on the idea that they need to build big movements and uh, you know get them working on their behalf and all that sort of thing so you kind of start there and and then you know, you have no track record in the UK, so people are a little bit sceptical. Is this going to work here? How's this going to, you know, what, what, what's all this about? And your first clients, yeah, you're just trying to prove the method. You know, can we build up a list of people who are supportive of this thing? Can we segment them a little bit so we understand a little bit better what people, what certain types of people will do and what level of activity they want to get involved in this thing uh, at and then what types of action might be appropriate for them? And you're just trying to build that model up to a level. And so we were working with, you know, small campaigns, trade unions, all sorts of people to just kind of, try and put their their causes as it were into this model and see whether it worked or not and can you sketch out for me your perceptions of how things have changed since 2008 so maybe a bit about what the basics were then and a bit about how that's different now i think we have seen a change and i think i think that change has come about so if you take the 2008 obama campaign you know most social media as we currently understand it didn't exist you know the campaign tried to build its own social network you know and I think that worked to some extent, but nothing at like the scale and, uh, you know, the kind of influence that the, the current uh, platforms have. Uh, and so like email was this killer tool, you know, building up an email list of 15, 20, 25 million people and, you know, knowing a bit about them, where they lived, what they were interested in, that sort of stuff was essentially your social network. And, and you could kind of, you know, message to it. And it was it was quite one way, but you could kind of talk to it and, and have it do things for you. I think social media as it's grown and changed and particularly as it's become monetized and advertising has become a big piece of it has meant that you know you don't necessarily need to go out and build that list through persuasion anymore you can essentially buy access to the people that you want to reach and i think that has changed the dynamic because essentially it means it's back to kind of checkbook politics as it were you know if you have the money to be able to reach people and you have the data and the underlying techniques about how to you know, create and optimize big advertising programs, you can actually reach a lot of people and spend the money that you would have spent potentially on grassroots organizing or something in a totally different way. And I think, you know, what happened between 2012 and 2016 was that potentially the left felt that like it had the grassroots thing and that was their thing. But the right suddenly realized that actually, you know, we have the money and we can reach people the same way as as the left did uh, in our own way. And we can bypass traditional media and we can you know bypass traditional systems of accountability and all the rest of it and we can kind of buy the access to those audiences and and get them out for us and um i think that's quite a big shift you know because it's a totally new model of of campaigning it feels to me like there's a bit of an echo there in the republican argument in the states that uh all donald trump did and cambridge analytica did in the election was kind of build on exactly what barack obama had tried to do in 2012 is that an argument that you would accept that the the kind of Trump campaign micro targeting Cambridge Analytica data capture models were an evolution of a 2012 Obama effort? So I, I'm not speaking at all for other people. I'm not actually sure other people have said this out loud. But I feel like when I worked at Blue State and and in around these kind of Obama type ideas, we had a very 
purest attitude towards the way we wanted to do it. You know, we genuinely wanted to put power in individuals' hands to have them run the campaign and steer the campaign the way they wanted to steer it uh, and to find ways of getting involved that were the right way for them. So if they wanted to be the dog, work, dog walkers for America or, they, you know, all those sorts of things, you know, barn painting was a thing for, a, for the Obama campaign. You know, like that stuff was creative and calling and gave people kind of individual expression for, the, for their political dreams, as it were. Like I th- it seems to me that we had a very bounded rationality, as it were, <laughs> as regards to like well, what actually we could have done with this, some of this stuff. You know, we had a lot of data, but we generally used it to send people emails we thought they wanted to get. You know, we didn't really even use it to try and change their perceptions on particular views. We didn't use it to really counter the media in a particularly strong way. We certainly didn't use it to try and say the media is a terrible thing and that you know you shouldn't listen to it at all. And so it felt like we were kind of respectful of institutions but also respectful of people and 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 what we thought they wanted to do so i think there is a shift actually at that moment where you say actually what we need to do is just get message into people's heads at a moment that we think they'll be receptive to it in a way that they think they'll be receptive to it and you know that that kind of extra focus on how do we win it sounds ironic but like i you know the obama campaign is obviously set up to win but a lot of what we were doing in the digital side of it was trying to create the resources to win as opposed to actually working out how to get the win you know like it was like let's create the platform for victory as opposed to the actual victory and i feel like there potentially was a a mindset shift there between 2012 and 16 where people realized actually you can win with this stuff you know it's not it's not an underlying layer and in a practical sense is that about the shift from using data to to talk to people to using data to target people through advertising yeah, I think it's a, it's to target people with advertising because, again, you know, the model I think we'd all set up for ourselves in our head post-Obama was that you built a dialogue with people. You were trying to sort of take them on a storyline, you know, like here is a narrative of this campaign which shows a growing movement, which shows people, you know, exemplifying the action that you want to see them take and all that sort of stuff. Whereas it feels to me that the advertising model is a lot more like bang, bang, bang. Here's, you know, here's what you should believe. Here's the truth that you're not seeing in the mainstream media. Here's the you know here are the lies you're being told but we're the only people that can bring you the truth um you know the credibility of everything else in the world is shredded is is a totally different approach to thinking about that you know it is that the world is in ruins and that, and that we can rebuild it whereas i think you know those those kind of late sort of 2010s type campaigns were built on a fundamental optimism that you know humans were perfectible and uh, you know onwards together and presumably that that understanding begins to explain why you feel it's important to understand who's paying for advertising, who's targeting people online through who targets me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think once you start going around traditional forms of accountability, so, you know, the media regulation, as we understand it, any kind of public visibility as to what's going on, then you have a problem in democracy, you know, and I think from both the, the 2015 Tory campaign in the UK, which, you know, played up after the fact, you know, how good its Facebook advertising program was and how targeted they were in kind of West Country, Liberal Democrat held seats and how the media never spotted it. And, you know, the victory was unexpected. And that's all great. You know, a campaign feels great about that, like histories written by the winners. And, uh, you know, they got to do that. Same in the 2016 and the referendum here, same in the Trump campaign and these kind of unknown factors in in these kind of contemporary elections yeah they feel they feel really problematic if we don't understand them you know if we keep having unexpected things happen you know it's not it's not actually that great for democracy you know it's a sort of destabilizing thing really it's like you know do we trust that is it you know large parts of people particularly people who lose you know and you know, i may have been on the losing side of these things you feel a bit like oh i can't i can't really explain that you know and i'd like to understand better so that 
we can kind of come back and uh, you know do it our way or, or whatever that might be. But yeah, so that seems like the, the kind of the challenge there is this big unknown and how do we create something that can tell us a bit more about it. And can you remember the idea that, that the moment that the idea was born? Uh, I can actually. So um, there's a institution, I suppose you call it in London, called Newspeak House, which is a civic technology kind of thing. The election was called and they were hosting a, a meetup for election technology stuff. And I, on the train on the way there, I thought I better have something for this event. And uh, remembering back to 2015, where, you know, done some work with the Labour campaign and then been beaten by this Tory campaign involving lots of Facebook ads, you're thinking, well, it really would have been nice to know, you know, how they were doing that. What were they doing? You know, no one's really told the story of that in any detail. There's no actual transparency or requirement to publish any of that information. You know, were they telling the truth? You know, was that actually the winning factor or... Is that a mystery that the higher ups in the campaign didn't really understand and were prepared to give a load of junior people at the campaign credit for? Or, you know, what was the story there? And so browser extensions are a way of crowdsourcing stuff and um, gathering as much Facebook advertising as possible opened up the possibility, at least, that you could reverse engineer election strategy. You know, where campaigns are spending money on which audiences with which messages is essentially like the comms plan. And, you know, can I reverse engineer that from... 15,000, 20,000 people telling me about the advertising they're seeing. So you've now got 15,000, 20,000 people. Something like that, yeah. And can you reverse engineer the comms plan? It's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, I think, you know, things that we could do immediately, which I found really interesting, were obviously you could see marginal seats where money was being spent. So you could have almost a binary sense, okay, they are buying advertising in this place, but they are not buying advertising in this place. And so there is some sort of sense that you could define what you think campaigns see as the battleground seats are certainly the tories who were much more interested like would literally buying ads on that basis you know like the labor party had a different approach which was to try and buy ads to reach their membership who would then spread their message on their behalf so there's sort of social proof you know other people believe this too so you know you should you should believe it as well the type of model which made it much harder to try and reverse engineer what was going on there and certainly meant that like because there was the the map looked very confused from that perspective because they you know members all over the country you couldn't really extrapolate like the targeted stuff they were doing geographically from the the kind of background noise of everyone should just share this stuff type messaging. So that was that was difficult. So it's a kind of yes and no. And obviously, it depends on the electoral system. So working in all these other countries right now, when you're working in places that have PR, it looks very different and targeting, you know, can often look very bland. You know, in Germany, we would see ads that were just sort of, you know, you are 18 and older and you live in Germany. You know, it's not particularly nefarious you know i mean you know there are obviously other ways that you can stop people seeing certain things and make other people see other things and different parties have different approaches and all the rest of it but you know different systems have different challenges to them how you would actually build a really good tool or or set of regulations or whatever for monitoring this stuff i think is still up in the air one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So for somebody listening who hasn't interacted with the idea of who targets me at all, can you paint a picture of what happens when you install the plugin on your browser? And so what happens for the individual sure. user and then what that collectively means you're able to observe? Yeah, sure. So when people install the software, we ask them some really simple questions. How old are you? Where do you live? What's your gender? And where on the political spectrum do you sit? So, you know, you're sort of far left, far right, you know, somewhere in the middle. And, you know, that gives us a sense of, you know, roughly sort of demographically, you know, who's in the pro- in the project in the first place, but also who's seeing advertising. And then for the most part, the, the extension just sits there and every piece of code that a social media platform tags as an advert is sucked into a database and is available for analysis. So the first task is obviously to try and separate out the political from the non-political stuff. Uh, you know, we're only interested in the political stuff. Obviously, defining that isn't totally straightforward and, and you know, everything is political in some sense. You know, if I... I'm a fast food restaurant and I am, you know, targeting under 12s with advertising, which technically is impossible, but, you know, the sort of thing that you could, you know, a kind of worst case scenario thing, right? Um, That's political. But mainly we're looking for stuff that's by recognized parties, candidates, campaign groups, you know, things that use keywords that, uh, you know, clearly are political and all the rest of it. And then the final piece is that, you know, we provide some utility to individual users in the sense that, you know, you'll basically get a breakdown of who's targeting you. So, you know, 27% of the ads you've seen are from the Tory party, 14% from the Labour party, 12% from the Dems. Here's a list of the ads from those parties, their proxies, candidates, all the rest of it. So you can kind of get some sense of exactly what investment essentially is being made to try and persuade you. And then you're able to see... So then we see across the whole piece. So, you know, as a as someone, an individual contributing to this project, we get to say, well, it looks like younger people are being targeted with, you know, rent, you know, kind of type policy ads and older people. It's all about pensions and Brexit or, you know, like that sort of stuff. So you get to tell a bit more of a story about, you know, who the parties think these messages are for, you know, and begin to be able to interpret them a better. You know, why are they doing this? What's this happening right now? So we would see ads popping up for example last year in you know Wimbledon in southwest London where you know the Tories are running big campaigns to try and persuade people that Jeremy Corbyn's introducing a garden tax you know it's going to cost you 40,000 pounds or something you know for you know land value as opposed to you know sort of the value of your house or something like a council tax type model and you know it's a it's an interesting new thing because we've got it's an attack ad it's a very targeted attack ad in the UK it plays on a fairly fundamental fear of the sort of you know largely well-to-do homeowner it's targeted at seats that, you know, clearly the Tory party either think they're going to win or, you know, worry they're going to lose. And so so all of these things begin to tell a story about what's happening in a campaign. You know, unless there is more transparency across the whole piece, it's very hard to tell those stories and explain what's going on. And I know that uh, to some degree you like Government versus the Robots have had a summer hiatus. So I don't know how uh, in-depth you've been looking at the data recently, but I'm conscious that we've got big conversations around the second referendum and the people's vote in the UK the midterms in the US are looming I know I don't know how many Irish members you have but the referendum in Ireland this year as well are there is there anything you've seen on those issues that are kind of contemporary that's that's stuck in your mind as particularly interesting developments 
I mean, I think on all three of those things, we've got we've got stuff going on. So in, in the Irish referendum earlier this year, we worked with a group there called the Transparent Referendum Initiative, and they would analyse the data that, you know, I think it was you know, six, seven hundred people were, were participating there, would create. And, you know, they were seeing groups from outside Ireland trying to influence the, the debate. There were sort of really quite controversial and shocking ads being placed uh, and kind of, you know, getting past moderation and all the rest of it that you might not have expected to see. And, you know, there was this threat, at least, lingering that, you know, very large sums of money were going to flood in in the final weeks and really, you know, try and make a difference in that campaign. Now, it happened that, you know, the fundamentals of that campaign probably meant that the eighth was going to be repealed uh, in Ireland no matter what. But, you know, there was this there was this threat. And so actually one of the things that happened as a result of our work and Transparent Referendum's work was the social media companies either banned advertising for the final run of the campaign or made it much more transparent very quickly. You know, sort of, you know, Russia launched some new stuff. So Facebook launched some transparency measures, announced they wouldn't be taking any foreign advertising. Google, YouTube didn't take any advertising at all. And so there is this kind of sort of power of, I suppose, what you, you know, you call it like sort of action research, action advocacy that we're doing that flags issues and flags concerns in in companies and often in the staff of those companies themselves to say actually something might happen here that we don't want to have happen and and that that, that will reflect very badly on us and so we should take some steps right now to see if we can stop that happening so i think that was one interesting thing around brexit we see a lot of advertising Uh, at the moment mostly the sort of people's vote type stuff although leave means leave and others are beginning to get into the game a little bit there now i think they're they have much less money than the than the kind of um remain groups but there is this sort of underlying set of rather strange looking ads and pages around the place where people have built websites that look kind of like news but have no bylines or attribution to them and they uh, you know have advertising behind them sometimes that advertising is targeting specific remain conservative mps um you know and there is something slightly shadowy going on there and it's it's not clear who's behind it and how they're paying for it and all the rest of it so again things that you know a bit more transparency would really help with you know in terms of investigating that and just trying to put a uh, name to a face you know all the rest of it and then in the US we've actually got this really interesting thing going on where for the first time we are hoping to have a representative panel of users so a polling company is recruiting on our behalf in order to have people install who targets me who just look like the American population and then potentially that allows for research on the effect like for the first time of, of these ads so does seeing them you know result in greater vote share does it result in greater vote, greater turnout does it change people's attitudes and all the rest of it and we have the ability to ask people before and after questions uh, around the midterms for doing that so that's just getting started and we're only gonna have a month's data obviously it's a month now from the from the midterms on november the 6th but that for me is probably the most single most interesting thing we'll have been able to do because you know, a lot of the questions we get asked are sort of methodological. And, um, you know, this is one where, you know, genuine social science is involved. And my question, the next question was going to be kind of what's next, but I guess what's next is to keep an eye on the midterms. And, and that sounds like it will give you some some interesting things to think about as you kind of think about where you could use Who Targets Me going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think we have some bigger ideas about some of the information challenges generally in you know, democracy as as things stand. You know, obviously, technology is changing the whole time. A lot of this data is very hard to get your hands on, uh, or get your hands on in a way that's authoritative and can tell a story. To you know, if I go and tell a regulator like, "Oh, we've got thirteen thousand people crowdsourcing data," the first question is, "Well, who are the thirteen thousand? Are they all just you know 
hackney living you know labor types who are worried about cambridge analytica or you know are they a representative sample of the country and therefore we might be able to actually draw some conclusions off it so there's sort of how do we get bigger and solve some of those methodological challenges how do we expand into other areas where targeted information is being used this idea that we build tools to help people interpret information is i think a really interesting one and one that there isn't a lot being done out there and so you know one of the ways we sort of see ourselves being is like almost like an antivirus tool for democracy like install this on your computer and it will help you process the deluge of information that comes at you through kind of modern news and social media and the destabilizing you know is this true or not and what do who do i believe and all that sort of stuff can we build tools to give people better interpretations more literacy rather than just saying oh we must train the kids right now you know wait for them to grow up before we can fix democracy which seems to be uh, a lot of the approach to it at the moment so yeah we have we have a range of things we're trying to do i mean we're trying to get regulation uh, in the uk you know clearly electoral regulation is way out of date uh, in an era where 10 grand can reach 10 times the number of people it could have reached five years ago or a decade ago so the thresholds and other things are a mess you know is, and so how do we fix all of that stuff is it def- just on that point is it definitely cheaper now to advertise through facebook is is the cost of facebook advertising less prohibitive than previous advertising platforms available to political actors yes in the sense that whatever it would have once cost you to buy billboards or something you know and you know yes okay you might get the commuters walking past the train station or something like that you know you can now do in a way that feels much more targeted and appropriate so the cost of like direct mail for example the social media advert equivalent of that is pennies versus pounds really as a thing so you're talking potentially 10 or 100 fold more reach for the same money and in a way that potentially is more tailored to people's interests in the first place you know there's a reason why direct mail and leaflets often look like newspapers uh, in political campaigning because they kind of have to be all things to all people a little bit you know can they let people find the issues they care about if they read our folded a5 thing whereas a social media ad i might be able to go back to that person 10 times with different things find the thing they're interested in and responded to and then further press that issue for the remainder of the campaign so i think it's both a difference in reach and a difference in technique it's, it's really really important here the um the specter of of regulation has loomed large in several episodes of government versus the robots yeah. and some people would kind of say you know, let's not be too heavy-handed others would kind of you know be writing a code of conduct for social media companies that's legally enforceable tomorrow um what do you think are the kind of you know where where you weigh up this question what do you think are the kind of no-brainers that perhaps uh, regulators should be thinking about so I think the thing that we're interested in is over the last year we've seen more efforts towards transparency on behalf of the social media companies you know, they now have generally a political ad archive or at least plans to roll one out in most countries where a significant election is happening. They have kind of in- election integrity efforts. They have sort of guidelines around what what they call inauthentic behaviour uh, looks like, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I think regulators are sitting there watching this, trying to work out, well, is that enough? Or do we need to actually do something here ourselves? Uh, you know, how, if, we, if we did, you know, most of them don't have the power to just write new rules themselves anyway. You know, it has to go back to parliament and find political support and all the rest of it. You know, how would we make that happen? I think our argument generally is that we've not seen anything that more transparency wouldn't help. You know, most people aren't going to want to read, you know, detailed information about why they were targeted with an ad and the overall spending and all the rest of it. But the overall, that information being out there is beneficial to democracy as a whole, as opposed to harmful. And therefore, we get into this place where there are really two kind of counterpoints. One is, does lots of transparency kind of harm free speech and privacy in some way? 
which are which are good arguments to engage with and try and work out what the right answer to is and the other is like the social media companies sort of saying we've done it already and it would just be lots of work to kind of make it right and that's not for me a good argument you know there's a there's a higher principle at stake here and something more important so you know when we talk about transparency we're really interested in like trying to define and press for a gold standard in that respect you know there's no reason why companies shouldn't be you know told like this is what society expects uh you know you should know whether or not a post was promoted at some time in the past you know if i look at a facebook post i sometimes can't tell if it's an ad or not or was it originally an ad you know but that makes a difference to how i read it if a video has a million views on it it has a kind of credibility to it if it has 50 views on it it has a different credibility to it if 990,000 of those million views were paid well that's a different reading again and so you know how do we get to a place where people can really read and interpret uh, the information they're presented with if they choose to you know and our, our focus happens to be advertising but you know there's a load of quite sort of technical detailed things that you could do across there to create a gold standard and the current thing which is kind of like we'll publish the ads in a pretty hard to find archive along with a load of data that we don't think compromises confidential you know commercial information on behalf of our advertisers doesn't really do it for us you know so so you know there's there's an effort to be made to try and get some more stuff over the line there so i i want to go back to thinking about political communications just to wrap us up and kind of where you've seen people be successful messengers because i think one of the things that a lot of people thinking about politics at the moment worry about is that the most effective messengers appear to be the people with some of the messages i personally would least like to see resonate but they're resonating and so what characteristics do you think are important for politicians right now in this new brave new world in which we find ourselves to get messages across effectively it's a double-edged sword isn't it but the the authenticity thing uh for politicians particularly continues to be the way that that people find their audience and that their messages find their target you know and um obama is uh, you know incredibly authentic and believable person but you know for his supporters so is nigel farage and um you know, so are all sorts of people, you know, as I think Theresa May, lots of people think is, is inauthentic or somehow, you know, just hard, hard to relate to, let's just say, you know. So um, I think there's a lot there still in trying to work out how to be sort of natural, normal person. Uh, if you look at the US midterms right now, there's a you know, big race going on in Texas that's kind of got both sides of that coin on it. You know, you've got Beto O'Rourke, who has that sort of rock star magnetism thing versus Ted Cruz, who everyone thinks is is weird but you know is politically in the right place for his state and all the rest of it and I, so i think there's there's a lot there about you know trying to see what what modern progressive authenticity looks like as it were if, if that's the type of thing you want to see ultimately win that was going to be my last question but now that we're talking about beto o'rourke i've noticed that on his so for anybody listening he's he's got into a habit of producing quite successful viral clips where it's the, the, the social content is teed up as ever wondered what somebody might think about this question Here's what Beto O'Rourke happened to say on his stump speech. And it's portrayed in a way as if he just kind of gave this off-the-cuff remark. But I've got absolutely no doubt that going into that speech, they know that's the bit that they're clipping for social. And it's it seems to be this spontaneous, look at this great answer he's given, which no doubt been worked over several times, but it's being cut and clipped straight to social. And seems to be being quite effective. People are sharing it quite widely. Yeah, I think, I think there's a whole phenomenon of kind of made for social stuff now i mean if you look at you know jeremy corbyn's pmqs are made for social you know there's point scoring that is designed for a 30 second clip on facebook it's not designed for the house um if you look at 
yeah, I've been following the coverage of the conferences, political conferences, party conferences here this week, and you know, watching clearly teams of people sat in co- you know in the bowels of conference centres trying to make clips and graphics and things out of whatever material they can get their hands on to fit that context. You know, it's not it's not about the pool interview or it's not about the today program. You know, twenty minutes of grilling. It's how do I get fifteen seconds or a single image into Instagram that makes people oh okay yeah I get I get that you know and it locks it in the brain and uh, you know there's a lot of questions about whether or not that stuff's actually effective or not but it's definitely very like in fashion as a way of of campaigning. So there you have it, everybody. Keep your eyes peeled for stuff that's clearly been made for social. We will have a listen back to this episode and find some clips that we can make for social in promoting it, and we'll be back next time. Thanks very much, Sam. Thank you. So that's it for this week. My thanks as ever to Sky Redmond for her help with the editing and production of this podcast. It's great to be back. If you've enjoyed the show, drop us a line on Twitter at govt underscore vs underscore robots. Tell your friends about it, and please keep your ears open for next time's episode. 